The reading today is from Psalm chapter 3. The page number is 544. I'll give you a minute to find it. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Salah. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. Salah. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn. It's a famous verse. Uh, it's, a fam- it's a verse that probably most of us know. Most of us would probably say we believe it too and nod along and say yes. Um, which is all well and good in theory, in a sort of comfortable, safe space. But what about when life gets messy? When you start to feel overwhelmed by life? Do you believe it then? Can you believe it then? Perhaps you've come here this evening and that is you. You're right in the thick of troubles that are surrounding you on all sides. Maybe you're struggling with illness, something chronic and invariable. It just is relentless. You're experiencing the same monotonous symptoms day after day. You're frustrated with the pain. You're tired from all the waiting, waiting in uh, doctor's lobbies and hospital hallways, waiting for uh, results to come back, for medications to take effect. You might feel invisible, cut off, like people are tired of taking care of you, like you're misinterpreted. Maybe you're even feeling worthless and unproductive. Perhaps it's not illness uh, that's swamping you, but a bereavement or loss. Maybe you feel physically and mentally fatigued, but you can't just sleep. You can't sleep from the grief. Or maybe it's the other way. You just feel detached and numb, as if part of yourself has died with that other person. You might be feeling fearful and insecure uh, at a whole host of things, at new responsibilities, um, at how on earth you're going to face life alone, at the idea of your own mortality. You might be feeling angry or resentful. Um, How could that person abandon you? It might be like you're feeling weighed down by all-encompassing guilt. (laughs) Maybe you're not crying as much as you think you should. Maybe you feel guilty about trying to move on. Maybe you feel guilty about missed opportunities to do something or say something. You might even be feeling guilty at feeling relief. You might blame yourself for their death. And you just can't escape from those thoughts. Maybe you've come this evening lost in loneliness. Maybe you're so alone that this service is the only time that you see people. Or maybe actually you're surrounded by people but you don't feel cared for. Either way, you're racked with low self-esteem and little confidence. You don't feel like you fit in. Maybe you feel, you feel like you've got uh, nowhere to go and nobody to turn to. Or maybe you have tried opening up, 
except nothing's changed. You still find yourself at home, staring at the walls, trapped and crushed on all sides. Or perhaps today you're, you're played with uncertainty. Maybe it's financial or about your career or your retirement. Uh, perhaps you know where you want to be, uh, but the path is unclear. Or maybe you know that you want to be somewhere, but where that is, is just, you've no idea. Your thoughts are knotted up with the stress and the endless what-ifs. You've had countless unmet expectations, and so you've just started to expect the worst in life. Maybe you're lost in your feelings, stuck in your own head, and overthinking. Maybe you've lost all your energy and motivation. Maybe you feel paralyzed, like you're not achieving anything, like you can't control anything. And the problem is, even as Christians, we can feel buried in this kind of hopelessness. Arguably, it's even worse for us as Christians. Because maybe hopelessness, maybe it makes us more aware of the legions of sins in our lives. But the most dangerous thing about hopelessness is this. It's that hopelessness so easily leads to unbelief. Possibly never out loud, but I will ask questions in the quiet corners of my mind. God, why have you abandoned me? Is there any hope for me in you, Lord? God, do you care? Is this where I lose my faith? Is this what you're really like? A cold, distant, and dreadful God? God who's content to sit back and, and just watch me suffer on all sides? Well, tonight we're studying Psalm 3. Do keep it open on page 544. At its root, it was written about um, a section of the story of King David. Uh, you can read back at it in, in 2 Samuel, chapter 15 onwards. It's there, actually there in the title of the psalm. Have a look with me. Um, you can see that it's, it's from when David fled from his son Absalom as he tried to oust him as king. But Psalm 3 is also pointing us to see the greater king, the greater David, the Lord Jesus, more clearly. It's about him, too. And so this evening, we've got a couple of gears to go through um, to help us understand the passage, knowing that we're seeing the prayer of two anointed ones, two Christs, as they walk the road of suffering that we know only too well. And I hope that we'll come to see this psalm as raw and real and powerful, that we can come as we are, strip back, and be real with our Heavenly Father. That in this psalm, we have an authentic invitation to converse with the Lord of the universe. And to see that, we must study two things. Firstly, the loud cries and tears, and the Lord's deliverance. So firstly, the, the loud cries and tears. Have a look down at verse 1 with me. O oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. It's a shockingly real picture of despair, isn't it? And what's more is David. It's the king of God's promise. The man after God's own heart. Um, who's crying out these words. Surely he shouldn't be a man of sorrows. But we see that David, he suffers in a very similar way to how we suffer. Well, what are David's circumstances? He's fleeing from Absalom, his son. 
He's been uh, deposed, betrayed, evicted. He's being hunted. People pelt him with stones as he walks past them. Surely he's starting to question the, the covenant promises God had made with him. And so he cries, how many are my foes? David was fearing for his life, fearing for what would happen to God's people uh, under another king's rule. I mean, didn't God say that uh, Israel, they would only flourish and only prosper under the king that God himself put on the throne? He must have felt in a pit of shame for what happened, burdened by the fact that the guilt is at least partly the consequence of his own sin and his own actions. And no wonder, he says, many, many, many are against him. It's his own son who's against him. He's younger, he's good-looking, he's charismatic, he's powerful. The wisest counselors in Israel have jumped ship and gone with the pretender. David's suffering is very real on all sides, on every front. It's a suffering that's physical, it's emotional, psychological, spiritual, and relational. And so the question that must have been on his lips, it's there behind verse 2, isn't it? Are the many right, Lord? Is it true that there's no salvation for me in you? It's theologically unthinkable, isn't it? But let's go up a gear. How do we see the Lord Jesus' suffering? His loud cries and tears. What did he face? Well, in the Gospels, we see that all are against him. There's the crowd who mocked him, who sneered and insulted, who shouted, crucify, crucify. There's the criminal on the next cross over who hurls abuse at him. The disciples had betrayed Jesus and abandoned him to death. All are against him, even more than against David. All the demonic powers and beings seem to have won. And worst of all, Jesus is seemingly abandoned by his father as he let out that horrifying cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Loneliness, helplessness, trouble, distress. Even Jesus, God the Son, has walked this road. In fact, he has lived it and felt it more acutely than any other person. But in the midst of this suffering, we see the Lord's deliverance. We see it first for David as he remembers the Lord. Have a look down at verse 3. But you, O Lord. This is the hinge of the psalm, the first glimmer of light in the darkness, the point where lament begins to turn to praise. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the lifter of my head. David remembers who God is. God is David's shield, a protection which surrounds him above, below, left and right, in front and behind. No matter what trials come his way, God is his security, his protection, his shield. And so God's promises are secure. Maybe that's why uh, David uses language similar to how God describes himself to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15. 
That was another time when it looked like the blessing of God uh, that he promised, it was going to fall to someone else. But instead, God doubled down on his promises and followed through with them. David remembers who God is. God is David's glory. He left Jerusalem in shame and in scorn. He means stripped of all his royal splendor and pomp. Yet he still has God. And having and knowing God outweighs even what David has lost. David remembers who God is. God is the lifter of his head. God will give him gladness after misery. His head is hanging in sorrow now, but God will lift it. God is the one who honors, who vindicates, who means that David can stand unashamed. David knows and trusts that the Lord will restore him to his throne. Maybe he was reminded of Pharaoh's cupbearer who was in prison with Joseph, but who was said to have his head lifted as he was restored to his old office. And how about verse 4? Have a look at it with me. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. David remembers who God is. He is the God who is always answered. And how does God answer? What does this all lead to? A good night's sleep. Verse 5. I lie down and I sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Reminded of who God is, David's fear is driven out, which leads to restful peace. He's sustained by God until he wakes up again. And did you notice, um, you know, that for David, it's not waking up with dread, but he experiences a waking confidence. He's no fear of his enemies anymore, uh, even though they're still just as numerous, and they're still encircling him. His, his situation has not changed one bit. But yet now, he has a God-given peace right in amongst it. The language David uses in verse 7, it it sort of makes us squirm a bit as a modern audience, doesn't it? But do you see, um, it's a metaphor where where David's enemies, they're they're like a wild animal. There's no option but to fight because there's no reasoning with a beast. And this isn't a vindictive prayer on David's part. In fact, we know from uh, later on in the story, if if you keep reading from 2 Samuel 18 and 19, that David, he still cared so deeply for his son Absalom despite everything they'd done to him and against him. But nevertheless, David has confidence that his enemies will be dealt with by God. They will be rebuked and defanged. They'll no longer be able to harm or insult him. And in verse 8, David, he goes even further. Here we see really clearly David is the Christ. When he calls out in ensuing praise, from the Lord comes deliverance. Or as some translations put it, salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Within the story of the Bible, we see that, yes, there's salvation first for David, the Christ. But in the end, it's ultimately a salvation for his people too. It's the people who will be blessed under the rule of God's anointed one as he's raised and restored to the throne. And so this psalm, it it moves from 
many foes and no salvation from an absent God at the beginning to rebuked enemies and salvation from a very present and very personal God at the end. And that's because the Lord who saves gives confidence and peace to those who prayerfully trust in him. But let's move up a gear again. How does this reveal Jesus to us? Well, just as Jesus shared in David's suffering, he too trusts his God and Father. We can see that in the Gospels too, can't we? Jesus, the Christ, as he breathed out in a loud voice, said this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so just as trouble triggered trusting prayer for David, so Jesus entrusted himself to God the Father. But whereas David's enemies, they were thwarted, Jesus was delivered, but only through death. The death sleep Jesus went down to, that wasn't peaceful, but it leads to superior and more glorious resurrection. And with that, the enemies of the world, death and the devil, they are defeated, even if for a short while, they're still present. And like with David, a Christ, Jesus, the Christ, received salvation first. But ultimately, it's for his people, for you and for me. The Lord who saves gives confidence and peace to those who prayerfully trust in him. So let's try, let's try and gather our thoughts and put this psalm into practice. Where do we fit in? Jesus suffered this way so that we don't have to. But we can still feel this way, can't we? That's, that's where we started our thinking this evening, isn't it? So how much can we sort of take this psalm and pray it for ourselves? Well, on the one hand... We can't. Jesus' suffering stands alone. But we can take up this psalm and pray it out of praise for the salvation that belongs to him and comes to us through him. But at the same time, we really can pray this prayer along with Jesus. We were crucified with Christ and we go on the route of suffering to glory along with him. We absolutely can join in the words and call to our God. Our God is our shield, our glory, and the lifter of our heads. But just as we close, I've got a couple of questions we need to ask ourselves whenever we take up this psalm in prayer. What is a God-centered prayer when I'm facing hopeless circumstances. Change them? No, it's changed me. Uh, Father, please help me to remember who you are. Please protect me from the unbelief and to trust in you and in the salvation you've given me in Jesus. Now, that's not easy. It's not to say that we can't ask God to change our situation. In fact, he loves us to pray about our lives. But if you could only choose one or the other, an easy life or knowing God, which would it be? The second question is this. 
What do I substitute for you, O Lord, in verse 3? I'll be honest, when I'm going through the mill, I'll all too often turn to prayer as a last resort. I'm much quicker to, to sort of wallow in misery, or much quicker to think that salvation belongs to a Big Mac rather than God. You know, but you, O Ronald McDonald, it's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> I did it. And I'm sure you did it too. I don't know what it might be for you. It might be that glass of wine, that holiday on the horizon, that sort of escapist fantasy that you find yourself drifting to. It could be a person that you put your hopes in. But please, just indulge me a moment. Close your eyes and just think. The last time that you were despairing at the situation you found yourself in. Where did you turn? The good news of Psalm 3 is that the Lord who saves gives confidence and peace to those who prayerfully trust in him. Amen. I'm going to invite Alex up and we're going to look at some of these questions. Um, that you guys have posted and upvoted uh, during the course of the sermon and the last song. Um, so if you want to see them, do get them up on your phone if you'd like to. I'll read them out as we go through um, these questions. Let's go into it then, Alex. Here's the first one. Um, you talked about Christ, a Christ, the Christ, Messiah. Um, did people at the time of David think he was the Messiah or Christ? Did they know another was coming? Yeah, I think there's... Oh, am I on? Hello? Great. Um, I think there's a couple of things going on there. So, um, was David a Christ? Yes. Christ literally just means anointed one, and so he was God's king, he was anointed, um, he's in that role, status, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the Old Testament, it's full of Christ, if you like, like people that God appoints and anoints to sort of lead his people, save his people. Lots of them are surprising. Um, yeah, uh, I think that that stands slightly separately to the promise of the Christ. Like, there's, there's such a thing as a Christ, like an anointed one, but there's a the anointed one, the Christ, who all the way through, there's this thread of, like, where is he? And we see him in Jesus. You put it quite well, Woody, when we were chatting outside. There's a, such a thing as a little c Christ. That's what David is. And then there's a big c and there's only one, and that's Jesus. And David, I guess, points forward to that big sure. C Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we, can, we can look at David and see so much more of Jesus. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, great. Really helpful. Um, next couple of questions. Look into verse 7, which you highlighted mm -hmm. in the, the language that's used there. So one says, how does breaking enemies' teeth help us? And another one, David prays for his situation to change in verse 7. Strike all my enemies. Does that mean we should or could? Mm. Um, again, I, I guess we're asking a couple of different things. Uh, the first is, is Psalm 3 saying that we need to pray for our enemy's teeth to break? Um, you know, I don't know if we've got any dentists here, but good business for you, wouldn't it? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I, it's, the Psalms are surprising because there's a lot of these kind of prayers, and you're like, ooh, these are prayers that God wants us to pray, and these, these, they're called imprecatory, if you want the boring word for it. But 
prayers that are basically asking for enemies to be dealt with and smashed up. And it, it just hits us weirdly, doesn't it? It's, it's not the sort of thing that I would naturally lean towards praying. Um, I think that the idea here is, again, it's that metaphor. I don't think he's literally saying, I want you to break Absalom's teeth, because, I mean, if nothing else, that prayer wouldn't get, does, doesn't get answered, um, literally. But is he saying, you know, defang my enemies so they're no longer a danger? You think of a lion, you'd be much less scared of a lion if it had no teeth. Uh, what was the other half again? I've forgotten, sorry. Uh, oh, he prays about his situation changing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so on that front, I think that like, it'd be hard to read the Bible and be like, oh, no, we can't pray about our situation. I mean, you know, just think of Jesus' teaching um, on prayer, like, give us today our daily bread. That's pretty obviously asking us, well, telling us to ask about our daily lives and, you know, rely on God for that. Um, I think the point of Psalm 3, though, is saying that actually, even if your situation, like if, if you're going through the mill now and your situation doesn't change for the next 60 years you're alive, say, some of us less, um, me, uh, is that okay? Like, are you still going to be faithful to God? Are you going to lose hope? Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's the sort of question it's getting to us to ask. Great. Thank you. Um, Next question, God answers David because he was God's king. How can all of us who aren't God's king know God's peace then? Mm. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that he answers because he's God's king. I, I mean, there is that element, and mm-hmm. you know, that's very obviously going on here. Um, I think that he mainly answers him because David is faithful to God throughout his life. Even when he messes up, and he messes up royally, if you pardon the pun, um, he repents and he's humble uh, and he's faithful in that sense. So, yeah, and, and you know, this, this is an, an incident. If you read through the story of David and his kids, it's messed up and David gets a lot wrong that leads to this point. Um, and so I don't think it's that he's ultra special. I think it's just that he clings on by his fingernails and goes, I trust you, God. Great. And almost <laughs> echo for us then. Mm. Trust in God, call out to him, and yeah, he promises yeah. to listen to us yeah. and hear us. Yeah. Great. Um, really helpful one, thinking about friends, and maybe not just friends, but ourselves. What, what are some helpful things we can say to friends, to ourselves, who are stuck in struggles or are lamenting or feel a sense of hopelessness? Mm. Yeah, I think it's a really good question. Um, and if, if that is you... you I'm so sorry that you're going through that right now, and I'd love to chat, um, or, you know, I'd love for you to have someone that you can chat to here. Um, We're complex, aren't we? Like, in some ways, one of the most hurtful things you could say to someone um, who's going through this sort of thing is, oh, buck up, trust in God, you'll be all right. Like, that could be one of the worst things, genuinely, that you could say to someone. So um, there's a way in, uh, there's a degree of wisdom as to know what to say when. Um, but I don't think there is such a thing as a one-size-fits-all. But I think what we could pick out from this psalm is, look, like God knows what it is to suffer. Mm. He knows what it is that we have hopelessness and despair. Um, that's hard. Mm. And actually... 
I'm encouraged that you're still coming to church. I'm encouraged that, you know, by what I see God doing through you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we can, we can downplay sometimes the sort of, what is it to trust God through thick and thin? Because like, it can be quite easy to trust God when everything's going all right. But when things are going bad, that, that genuinely can be quite a heroic thing mm-hmm. to cling on. Uh, and to be like, I've got loads of unresolved questions, but it doesn't change who you are, God. It doesn't change how much I'm going to trust you. Mm. Um, so, I don't know, what was my answer there? Uh, don't be callous. Say it's hard. Mm. I, I think probably just be with people and be happy to sit with people and gently nudge and say, God knows, and he cares. Mm-hmm. Something I've found really helpful is a phrase of, of walking towards people who are in suffering rather than walking away. I think we can be scared of, I don't know what to say. Mm. I, whatever I say will probably make it worse. And so either literally or metaphorically, I walk away from those who are suffering. And actually a challenge to, what does it look like for me to walk towards someone to offer support? Mm. Or if it's me who's suffering, either walk towards someone to ask for help or ask others, encourage others to come mm. support us. Um, final question that's come in during the Q&A. So um, I won't be too unfair on you and put you on the spot. I'll give a, a go at answering because I've seen it already, and then you come in with better things after I've had a go. Um, sometimes I don't have the words to pray. What would you recommend? Um, here's two things, just thinking about it. Um, head to the Psalms. The Psalms can be really helpful. Lots of different prayers of sometimes praise to God, but sometimes just I'm feeling so rubbish and this is how I feel outpouring to God. <laughs> and it's wonderful that it's in the Bible. It gives us permission to pray those kind of prayers to God. And, and so do head to the Psalms and read through the Psalms. I'm going to start reading through the Psalms from the beginning of September and, and just seeing the different prayers that are in there that God says, this is God's word. You, you can pray these to me. Um, and another one I find is, is write them down, even if they're not articulate prayers and sometimes it's not helpful that we we only hear people praying in church who have had the time to prepare their prayers and they sound great with all these good words and I just don't know what to say just write down how you're feeling God doesn't ask for really articulate perfect prayers he he wants you and so come to him and 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 just say what you're feeling write down what you're feeling can help Hmm. over to you yeah yeah I think it's beyond the Psalms there's loads of prayers that would apply and I found comforting um, and have given words when I've struggled to come up with any. Um, I think probably the most important thing is, if you're a Christian, you have never p- prayed an imperfect prayer. Mm-hmm. I'll say that again, because that sounds counterintuitive, right? If you're a Christian, you have never prayed an imperfect prayer. That is because, if you're a Christian, God's Spirit lives inside you, and He makes your prayers known, even if you can't put them into words. The Bible talks about our sort of inward groanings that the Spirit makes into prayers, and the Bible talks about making our prayers perfect. So even if I, if I pray and I think that's feeble, my attention wandered for 20 minutes in the middle there, um, and I can't put into words what on earth I'm thinking, you've prayed a perfect prayer. Well, I find that comforting. Yeah, great. Thank you, Alex.